Let's pray together, and then we'll open up God's word. Thank you, Lord, for the ways that you've been working in our church community here. And we we love you, Lord, for your goodness, your mercy, your faithfulness, your reality in our lives. Thank you so much, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would do a powerful work in our hearts now through your word. Oh, Lord, touch my heart more. Open all of our eyes and soften all of our hearts so that we can see, feel, Jesus, the, the wonder of what you have done in coming to the earth. I pray that none of us would leave here the same, but that we would meet you, living Jesus, in your word today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Well, let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. And uh, like I always say, if you need a Bible, we'd like you each to have a Bible you can look on with this morning. So go ahead and raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. Scriptures are very important here at Mercy Hill Church. We're all about the Word of God. And so we'd like you to be able to follow along with us. Philippians 2 was on page 980 in the Bibles that we're passing out. So keep your hands raised high. We'll get one to you. Okay? All right. This morning, I'm going to jump ahead in our series on the story of God and uh, jump ahead to talk about Jesus' birth, which is fitting for this Sunday when we're celebrating Christmas. And one of the most powerful passages describing what took place in Jesus becoming a man is found in Philippians chapter 2. And it's page 980 in the Bibles we're passing out. Let me give you some background on the book of Philippians. Paul uh, was a passionate Pharisee, Jewish leader, adamantly opposed to Jesus and to Christians. In fact, he spent his time arresting Christians, throwing them into jail, having some of them killed. And then one day on the road, as you, if you've read the story, Jesus confronted him. The supernatural resurrected Jesus came down from heaven and confronted him. And, and Paul saw the error of his way, saw that Jesus was the Son of God, he was the Messiah, laid his life down before Jesus, and for the rest of his life, traveled all through the Roman Empire and Asia Minor preaching about Jesus. In AD 50, just a few years after Jesus had died and and been raised from the dead, AD 50, Paul came to Philippi, which was a, a Roman colony, and he preached about Jesus there. And there was some pushback from people who didn't care for his message, but many heard his message repented of their sins, put their trust in Jesus, received Jesus as their Savior, and were transformed. And a church was established there in Philippi. Twelve years later, A.D. 62, Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippi. And as you read it, you see one of the problems Paul is addressing is that there had been some division that had arisen there amongst some of the members. And so Paul wants to call them to be humble towards each other to be humble, to serve each other. And to encourage them in that, he gives them the example of Jesus. An astonishing example of humility here in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verses 5 through 7. Look at what Paul says. Again, this is page 980 in the Bibles we passed out. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or the English Standard Version has a little footnote, and I think it's probably better translated, which was also in Christ Jesus. This mind, this attitude, it was in Christ Jesus. 
And then he describes it, verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. So Paul starts off here in verse 6 talking about what Jesus was like before he was born, before Bethlehem. So what, what was true of Jesus before Christmas, before Bethlehem took place? Verse 6, Paul says, he was in the form of God. You know, that, that Greek word form means that Jesus had the exact same nature, the, the exact same nature Jesus had as God the Father had, which means that everything God the Father had Everything God the Father was, Jesus had, and Jesus was. Everything. Jesus, in other words, was fully, 100%, unadulterated, not watered down, God. You can see that also in the next phrase, where Paul mentions that Jesus had equality with God. He didn't grasp onto equality with God in such a way that would keep him from becoming a man, but he was equal with God. And what does the word equal mean? Right? Is 2.9 equal to 3? No. What's equal to 3? Three? 3. Everything that 3 is, this 3 is. They're equal. That's what it means. Equal to God. And so everything that was true of God the Father was also true of God the Son. God the Father has always been Jesus, God the Son, had always been. God the Father has infinite power. Jesus has infinite power. God the Father has perfect knowledge of everything and wisdom. Jesus has perfect knowledge of everything, wisdom. God the Father, sovereign, absolutely sovereign in control of everything. Jesus, absolutely sovereign in control of everything. Equal, God the Father, God the Son. Whatever God the Father is, the Son is. You know, you might be wondering, you may have heard, I've heard it numerous times, the idea that, that's what Paul says here, but but that's not what Jesus himself taught. Jesus never talked about himself being God. That's something maybe the early church cooked up. Any of you ever heard that? It's, It's out there, it's common. That's just not the case. Let me show you one place where Jesus says the exact same thing himself. Turn to John chapter 10, Starting in verse 30, this is page 897. John chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 30 to 33. I want you to see that Jesus' deity is not something that the early church came up with. Jesus' deity is something that Jesus himself clearly affirmed. John 10, starting in verse 30, we're going to dive right into the middle of a conversation here where Jesus is talking, but he says this amazing statement in verse 30, I and the Father are one. Now to see what that means, keep reading. Verse 31, how did the Jews respond to Jesus saying, I and the Father are one? The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Verse 33, the Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus had said, 
I and the Father are one, and the Jews rightly understood what Jesus was saying. He is making himself to be God. He's saying, I am God. That's why Paul says what he does in Philippians chapter 2. So go back to Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 7. What Paul says here is not something that the early church cooked up. What Paul says here came straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. He made himself to be God. So Jesus is fully God. Before the manger, before Christmas, before Bethlehem, Jesus was fully God. Now, what exactly does that mean? I'm going to give you just three, three specifics so you can kind of sink your teeth in a little bit more tangible ways. I've already mentioned this one, but let's, let's think a little bit more about it. Just like the Father, God the Father, had always been through eternity past, Jesus had always been. That is, if you, if you can just think back in time as far as your mind can reach, back, 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 Jesus is there. And then if you can multiply that a million times farther back, Jesus is there. There never was a time when Jesus was not. Fully God, Jesus has always been. He said it himself in John eight fifty eight. Remember the passage? He says, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham lived about 2,000 years before Jesus. So Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus has always been. So Jesus, along with God the Father and God the Spirit, had always been. Okay, now, if, if you're like kind of new to this stuff, you're thinking, okay, God the Father's always been, God the Spirit's always been, God the Son has always been, Trinity always been. I mean, how, how do you understand that? That's just like, how is that possible? Anybody feeling like, like, really? Is that really what we're talking about here? I sympathize with you, okay? I just want to share with you one thought that maybe, it's not going to prove anything, but it may just make it a little bit easier so you can hang in with us for a few more minutes here, okay? Nobody's gotten up to leave yet. All right, good. Uh, here's an artist's picture of the Milky Way. All right, can we flash that up there? Milky Way. I think. We're going to get that? There it is, okay. Milky Way, our solar system, sun, planets, Massive solar system. The Milky Way is so big you can't even see our solar system. That's why you got to have a little arrow. Sun! Okay, you can't even see it, but that's, that's roughly where it is. Okay, here, here's the point that I want to make. The Milky Way is just, it's just this massive, you know, massive, massive thing. Now, how is that possible? How is that possible? Right? Can you explain that? Well, you're living right there. Okay, you are there right now. You're living in this thing. Can you explain it? Now, scientists, I mean, they've explained you know, maybe the Big Bang, but all that does is just push the question back one further step back, right? It doesn't really explain it. So we are living in a reality that we don't understand and that no one's been able to explain, right? So the only point I want to make is the fact that we don't understand something or can't explain something doesn't mean it's not true. Because we're living in something that we don't understand and can't explain. Now, that doesn't prove God's existence. But I just hope it helps you to say, okay, maybe there's some possibility here. It doesn't prove God's existence. There's lots of reasons. That's a topic for another time. Come back. We'll talk more. But I just wanted to have you see that even though we can't explain how could it be Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, have always been, even though we can't explain that, 
doesn't mean it's not true. Okay? Jesus has always been. Second truth about Jesus, before Bethlehem, he had always been full of joy in fellowship with the Trinity. We've been talking about that over these last few weeks. What what was the Trinity doing from eternity past? Well, they weren't bored. They weren't lonely. They were full of joy and celebration in beholding their perfections as displayed in each other. It's like, whoa, yes, awesome, amazing, seeing their own perfections displayed in each other as a trinity, full of joy. And so from eternity past, Jesus had always been and had always been full of passionate, exuberant, celebrative joy in, in the fellowship of the trinity. One more truth. There's lots we could talk about, but I'm just going to do three here just to get a feel. Are you feeling what it meant for Jesus to be God? That's my, my goal here. He had infinite power and authority. Colossians 1.16, we read that everything was created by Jesus. Okay? Now let's talk about the Milky Way. I, I used an illustration a couple weeks ago, but I, I, I thought I'd approach it a little bit differently. So Jesus created the Milky Way. Scientists say that the Milky Way is 100,000 light years wide. Okay? So I just want to blow your mind with another way of thinking about how big that is. I hope I get this right now. Let's say you're traveling at 1,000 miles an hour. Okay, now, like, your basic southwest jet travels around, I think, 800 miles an hour, something like that. Okay, give or take. But you're going faster. You're going 1,000 miles an hour. You're just, like, screaming. Okay? In one day, you'd go 24,000 miles. Okay, math majors, right? So far, so good. Okay, so in one day, you've gone 24,000 miles. In one year, screaming for one full year, 8.7 million miles. Wow. In 100 years, you've gone 870 million miles. So you're screaming for 100 years. In 100,000 years, you've gone 870 billion miles. And in 100 million years, you've gone 870 trillion miles. Okay, so you get in the Southwest jet, a long trip, here we go, okay? 100 million years, you talk about layover problems, okay? 870 trillion years, which is, I hope I got this right, 145 light years. This is 130 thousand light years wide. So in a hundred million years of travel at a thousand miles an hour, you've gone way less than one percent of the width of this thing. So, so do, you, do you feel what kind of being, what kind of being, what kind of power would a being have to speak into existence a Milky Way which is a hundred thousand light years wide? is Jesus. Not only that, scientists tell us, we looked at this a few weeks ago, that there's over 50 million of these in the universe. What kind of power does a being have who speaks over 50 million, 100,000 light years wide galaxies into existence? All things were created through him. Jesus, Colossians 1, 16. Okay, so before Jesus was born, we're thinking before Bethlehem, before he was born, what was true of Jesus? He'd always been, he was full of exuberant celebration in the fellowship of the Trinity, and he had infinite power 
and authority. Okay, now, what happened in Jesus becoming a man? That's where he was before Bethlehem, before he became a man. What happened then when Jesus became a man? Verse 7, Philippians 2, verse 7. We read that Jesus made himself nothing. Here's what that means. It means he took all of his God position, all of his God privileges, all of his God powers, and he laid aside the use or the exercise of them. He never stopped being God, but he laid aside the use of his God powers, his God position, his God privileges. Then Paul says he took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, which means he became a man. He, he didn't just like put on a man costume. He didn't just look like a man. He fully became human, 100% God and 100% human. He laid aside his God powers, God privileges, God position, and he fully took on human nature. He never stopped being God, but he laid Godhood, the use of Godhood, the exercise of Godhood aside, and he fully became a man. Okay, I want to get more specific. You're all wondering what this is doing up here, okay? My dad likes to use this illustration of a ladder. I just think this is really brilliant, okay? This, he's my dad, and he's, I love my dad. And uh, he describes God's, Jesus, lowering of himself to be, from, from, from being God, to laying that aside and becoming fully man. It's like you're coming down a ladder, and at every step, you're laying something else aside, And this has really helped me to understand and to feel the reality of what has happened in the manger and and in the cross. So, six things, okay? First, Jesus laid aside his position as God in order to be born as a baby. This is what Christmas is all about, okay? The same Jesus who was fully God, who spoke into existence over 50 million Galaxies like the Milky Way, our Creator laid aside a position as God and was born as a baby. Okay, if you can just imagine what this would have been like. So, just like this baby here, you can hardly see him, okay, all bundled up. But, but the, the point is imagine being Mary and saying, This is my Creator. You are my Creator. That is just awesome. It's like, okay, so that's the first step. He laid aside his position as God to be born as a baby. Second, he laid aside his majesty. From eternity past, he lived in absolute royalty, majesty, equal to God in every way. He laid aside his majesty to live in humility. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why he went out of his way. I mean, think about it. His, where was he born? In a barn. Creator of the universe, our creator, the creator of this world, where is he going to be born? Where is he going to be? It's in a barn. Okay? You know what a manger is, right? A manger where he was laid, that's just a fancy word for a feeding trough. Okay, animals would come and they would eat out of it, right? So that's what a manger is. Not a manger is like some special baby crib back in those days. Excuse me, you know. Ooh, what's that? All right, so 
All right, that's, that's what it means. During his ministry, he had nowhere to lay his head. Think of the humbling of having one of his own disciples betray him publicly, Judas. Think of the, 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 the humility of having Peter, another one of his disciples, deny him publicly. So here is creator, majestic, royal, God the Son, Jesus, laying aside his majesty and living in absolute humility. Third, he laid aside his infinite power. Just one more thing, he lays aside infinite power to live in weakness. I mean, think about it. Jesus had always had infinite power. He had never, ever known anything of weakness, ever. Are you kidding me? Just, just brimming with infinite power all the time from eternity past, okay? But in becoming a man, he took on human weakness. So in John 4, we read that he became tired after walking all morning, right? In Mark 8, we read that at one time he was so sleepy that even though there's a big storm blowing, he was asleep in the boat. Remember that story? Okay. We read in John, uh, Matthew 21, that Jesus became hungry. So he laid aside his infinite power to experience human weakness. Okay, so, so these first three, get the feel. He took his glorious God existence, God powers, God privileges, God position, laid the exercise, the use, the possession of that aside, and fully became a man. He, he lowered himself to become a man. Now, it's a little hard for us to feel just how low that is because here we are, right? Okay, we're people. We know what's so bad about that. So I just tried to think of an illustration that could maybe help you wrap your mind and heart around it a little bit more. Imagine that you are going to become an ant. Not just put on an ant costume for Halloween, okay? But you were really going to lay aside human position, human privileges, human powers, human prerogatives, and fully take on antness. Okay? You feel a little bit of that? Yeah, that's, that's a cakewalk compared to what Jesus did. From God to man is infinitely farther than, excuse me, you to an ant, okay? There's no comparison, but can you feel that? And now Paul presses it on. You might think, okay, this is Christmas. Why do we need to talk about the crucifixion on Christmas? Do you know why we need to talk about the crucifixion on Christmas? Paul does, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we aren't honoring Christmas if we leave the cross out. Jesus came to die, which is what Paul points out in verse 8, Philippians 2, 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So I've got, I've got three more lowerings here that, that are all seen in, in the picture of the cross. The fourth is, Jesus laid aside pain-free existence. I couldn't think of a better way to put it. To, to be beaten and scourged and crucified. Maybe there's a better way you can think of to put this, but here's my point. Jesus had never, ever known pain. Ever. Ever. Eternity past. He'd never known pain. But now, 
He allowed himself to be arrested. Remember, Peter tried to defend him, pulled out the sword. And remember what Jesus said to Peter? Peter, stop. I can call a legion of angels just like that and be gone from here. Now, I want to stress that because don't think that Jesus' suffering was the suffering of a helpless victim. Okay? At every moment, Jesus chose to continue. Feel that? That's the reality. He laid aside pain-free existence. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was scourged. He taken to Golgotha, nailed to the cross. And again, every slash of the whip, every beating of the fists, every crush of the crown of thorns, every hammer of the nail, he could have been gone at any point. But he just took it. He never tapped out, if you will. He just took it every step of the way. So he laid aside pain-free existence and was beaten, scourged, and crucified. Fifth, he laid aside his glory for the shame of the cross. Okay, here's, he had infinite glory. From eternity past, Jesus was perfect, flawless glory. And the Spirit and the Father just kept reflecting back to him, praise in his glory. He was glorious. He shined with glory. His glory was reflected back to him. That's all that was happening from eternity past. But he laid that aside for the shame of the cross. So think about, think about the scandal of being arrested. You ever been arrested? Okay. Scandal of being arrested. Think of the shame of being beaten by the Roman soldiers and by being scourged, by being mocked with the crown of thorns. And then what really hit me this last week was thinking about Jesus, just beaten to a pulp, barely able to stand in front of a crowd of people. And this crowd of people is being asked to choose who's going to be released. A murderer or Jesus? And what does the crowd do? The crowd all looks at Jesus and they scream out, crucify him, crucify him. So if you could just feel what it'd be like to be before, I mean, just you as a human being, before a crowd of people who are all calling for your crucifixion instead of the murderer's crucifixion, you can feel, can you feel just a little bit of the, of the shame? The, the, the lowering from infinite glory to a crowd of men and women whom you've created calling for your crucifixion, not Barabbas's. There's one last step, which is the worst. And that's where Jesus laid aside his father's love, his experience of the father's love to, to endure the father's wrath. Physical pain was unimaginable, but that, that was nothing compared to what it meant for him to have the Father be pouring wrath out upon him. I mean, from eternity past, all that Jesus had ever known was the Father's love for him. Delighted in it. Joy, passionate love, celebration. But on the cross, and there's, there's mystery here, and it was in a way that broke the Father's heart, but on the cross, that love stopped. And all that came down was wrath and punishment.
And Jesus was willing. He laid aside his father's love to endure the father's wrath. So Jesus was experiencing wrath and punishment to pay for the sins of those he would save. That's why he did it. So that's what Jesus did. So before Bethlehem, fully God, equal to God the Father in every way, when he was born at Christmas and leading to the cross, there's this infinite lowering that takes place. He lays aside his position as God, is born as a baby, lays aside his majesty, lives in, in humility as a, as a man, but as, as, a, as, a, as a humble, lowly man, laid aside his infinite power, experienced human weakness. He'd never known weakness before. And then on the cross, laid aside pain-free existence to be beaten, scourged, and crucified, laid aside infinite glory for the shame of the cross, and he laid aside his Father's love to endure God's wrath. So why? Why would Jesus do that? Why? Here's why. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, Jesus loved me and gave himself up for me. He loved me. Revelation 1.5, John says, Jesus loves us and delivered us from our sins by his blood. The reason Jesus did this was because he loves us. He cares about us. He feels compassion for us. We deserve infinite punishment, but Jesus looks upon us with compassion, mercy, care, and love, and steps forth to lower himself infinitely so that he can save us. Okay, that's, that's why. Now here's a little bit of background. I said that we deserve infinite punishment. Why? What, what's that about? God has revealed himself to, to me and to you clearly. He's, first of all, just think about it. We've been looking at this over these last few weeks. He gave you life. I mean, you have life. You are a living person. What an amazing, infinitely valuable gift. Life. You didn't do anything to deserve that. You've got a body. I mean, look at what you can do. You can think, you can see, you can hear, you can talk, you can touch, you can walk. You've got a body. You've got life. You've got a body. He's given you food and he's given you friends and he's provided for you. So God has revealed himself to you as good and as loving and as caring and as compassionate by giving you life and a body and friends and family, maybe a spouse and kids and providing for you. And then best of all, God offered you He offered you, this is the most amazing thing, the heart-satisfying experience of knowing him, beholding him, loving him, worshiping him, relying on him, fellowshipping with him, talking with him, walking with him, the heart-filling experience of knowing your creator. He offered you that. Okay, so what did we all do? We've all turned our backs on him. I have, and you have. And that's what the Bible calls sin. And that's deserving eternal, infinite punishment. So what did Jesus do? Okay, so I'm going to kind of picture it like this. So he, Jesus is up. He's, he's fully God, okay? He's like way up here. I'm not going to go up any higher. All right. And, uh, and he looks down at men and women, high schoolers, junior hires, four-year-olds, 80-year-olds, who he's created, okay, you and me, 
who have turned, we've turned our backs on him. We have walked away from him. We've refused to bend the knee before him. We've refused to trust him. We deserve infinite punishment. And he looks down upon us. He looks down upon you. And he loves us. And he loves us. I gotta get a little higher to get this to feel this. Okay, so here we go. And he loves us. And he sees what this is going to cost. Laying aside his position as God. Laying aside his majesty. Laying aside infinite power. Laying aside pain-free existence. Laying aside his infinite glory. Laying aside the Father's love. He sees what it's going to cost. And what does he do? Loves you. Feels compassion for you. And he steps. Lays aside his position as God. To be born as a baby. Lays aside his majesty. To be humbled as a man. Laid aside his infinite power to experience human weakness. Lays aside his pain-free existence. Beaten, scourged, nailed to the cross. Laid aside his infinite glory for the shame of the cross. Laid aside the never-ending experience of the Father's love forever and ever to receive the wrath and the punishment of the Father for your sin and for mine. That's what he did. That's what this is all about. Okay? Jesus came just like this baby. Okay? He was born just like this baby. And that's why. All right? Now, How do we receive all that he came to accomplish through this humbling? We receive it by simply receiving him. We receive him as savior. Yes, I've sinned against you. I've turned my back on you. I've wanted to be independent of you. I've not obeyed you, trusted you, thanked you, responded to you, loved you. Forgive me. And so we receive him as savior. You you can't be good enough to gain acceptance from God. You've got to give up on trying to be good enough and realize Jesus was the one who was perfect. He paid for all of my not being good enough. You receive him as your savior. It's very humbling. And it's reality. I receive you, Jesus. I receive you as my savior. And you receive him as your Lord. He is Lord. You can't separate Savior and Lord. The Savior is the Lord. The Lord is the Savior. Thank you. But the Savior is the Lord. And so you've got to receive him as Savior and Lord. I want to bend the knee before you. You're God. You're creator. I love you. You've loved me. You have loved me. Yes. I'll follow you anywhere. I'll obey you everywhere. Receive him as Lord. And then you receive him as treasure. If I could have the joy of knowing you, and he says you can. And so you receive him as your treasure to know him, to fellowship with him, to meet him in the scriptures, to talk to him, to worship him, to experience his love, to experience his presence. That's what you do. You receive him as savior, as Lord, as treasure. And the moment you do that, you're completely forgiven for all your sins. Your heart's changed. And you come to experience him as your provider, your guide, your counselor, your strength, your wisdom, and and your heart satisfaction, your heart treasure. You'll experience him in that way. And then you live your life. You don't just do that like Sunday, today, and then, okay, whatever. Every day we receive him as Savior. 
Every day we receive him as Lord. Every day we receive him as treasure. Every day we're walking with him. We're asking him to forgive us. We're, we're following him. We're trusting him. We're relying on him in, in a growing way the rest of your life until eternity. Okay, that, that's what we do. So here's the picture I want you to get. God, our creator. God, the son, our creator, who was equal to God, the father in everything, laid all that aside and was born as a baby. Okay. As a baby. So he could die on the cross. All right. Now, the story doesn't end on the cross. Verses nine through 11. What does God the Father do for Jesus? Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Jesus lowered, 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 lowered. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Right? And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So God raised him from the dead. God exalted him, gave the name above every name. And at the end of history, every knee will bow before Jesus. The day is coming. Jesus who came, lowered himself to that extent for his creation, for his people whom he's created, every knee, the second coming of Christ, end of history, will bow. Not all of those knees bowing will be bowing willingly. Those who through their lives have not bent the knee before their creator those who through their lives have not received him as their savior and Lord and treasure, those who refuse to, to bend the knee, they will have God say, bow to my son. And they will, with an irresistible pressure, be forced to kneel. It'll be right. They won't be happy about it, but they will bow, and then they will be cast into eternal punishment. Others at the second coming, when they see Jesus, they will bow without being needing to be even reminded about bowing, right? You know, you just fall on your face and you'll bend the knee with tears of joy, finally, to see you face to face. Look at you. You were worth all the fighting against temptation. You were worth all that we did without to care for the poor. You were worth going to the Uyghurs or going to the Reef Berbers or going on short-term missions trips. You were worth loving our kids and teaching about you. You were worth loving those who didn't love us. You were worth forgiving people. You were worth every cost that was incurred in following you. Look at you. You're worth it all. And you will bow willingly with tears of joy and the Father will say, well done, enter into my joy forever. That's where history is going. Bethlehem aimed at the cross, but didn't stop at the cross. Moved to the resurrection and then the second coming. Your knee will bow. 
your knee will bow. See, if, if you don't believe in Jesus now, let me just, I hope this doesn't offend you. It is not because you don't have evidence. It's just not. The reason you don't believe in Jesus is the same reason I didn't. I didn't want to. You know that's true. That's the reason. Now there's a place for learning and understanding what the scriptures teach and and thinking through the the evidence that's there. That's an important place, but understand the bottom line reason you're not responding to Jesus is the same reason that I didn't respond to for so many years. I didn't want to. I knew his reality. I didn't want to. Thank you. But Jesus cares about you. He loves you. Even though that's what's in your heart, he loves you. I mean, do you see the measure of his love for you in coming down? Do, do, you, do you feel the cost? This is, it's frightening. It's such an intense love for you. Isn't it? I mean, for somebody to do that for you, oh boy, right? Right. So bend the knee. He's worth it all. To know him is all satisfying. One other thought. Christmas can be a painful time for many people. You're alone. You're thinking about relationships that have fragmented children, spouses, parents, friends. It can be a a difficult time. Here's just this one last thought that I had this morning. This is like a Niagara Falls of love for you from Jesus. Jesus' love for you is so wide and so deep and so long. His love can completely satisfy you no matter how alone you might feel. And we want to love you. We'd love to reach out to you and connect with you. But still, his love can completely satisfy you. His love is like a Niagara Falls of love. And other people's love for you is, is, like a, is like a thimble. Now, don't misunderstand. My point isn't to make little of other people's love for you. If God took my wife home, I would be in a very bad place, okay? Because that, that thimble full of love for me from her is amazing. But compared to Jesus' love for me, it's a thimble full, awesome thimble. Love that thimble, okay. And I just remember the story of Hudson Taylor after his wife was taken home. And he said, I never would have believed how Jesus could satisfy me with her being gone. So my point isn't to make little of the thimbles that you're sensing the lack of. Please don't misunderstand me. It's to highlight the Niagara Falls of Jesus' love that you can experience during this season. So please, open your heart to Christ. Receive him as your savior and your Lord and your treasure. Niagara Falls of love. He will fill you with his love. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus. I just feel so inept trying to come even close to like scratching the surface of just barely getting started on talking about what you've done. Take these words as feeble as I feel that they've been, and shine your light 
through them into our hearts, I pray. That we would taste the magnitude of what you've done for us. That we would love you. That we would trust you. That we would live for your glory in our neighborhoods. That we would turn off pornography. That we would give to the poor. That we would forgive those who've hurt us. All flowing out of the wonder of being forgiven and saved and loved and cared for by you, our creator. Do that, Lord. And Lord, for those who are in heart pain this Christmas season, I ask that you would pour the Niagara Falls of your love into their heart and fill them and satisfy them. And we ask this in Jesus' name.